It's happy times and places in which I, Toby Haydoke, get a friend to choose a Doctor Who story for me and I have to guess what their favourite things about it are. Hello Toby, this is Jim Sangster. You know that guy from Liverpool who keeps popping up on the DVD extras? The story I've chosen for you to watch is the very first one. We're going to watch the Cavemen episodes. You know the ones some older fans call the Tribe of Gum. Well, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to part four of Doctor Who. <laughs> the fourth ever episode and the final episode of the first story, which is either called An Unearthly Child. That's what I call all four, even though, you know, strictly speaking, I know that really only refers to the first episode. Some people call it 100,000 BC. I don't because that's relatively new and like the old mother, I reject new things just on principle uh, and to others it's the tribe of gum and that's what uh, Jim Sankster, my guest, refers to it as in the uh, emails that he sent me uh, so uh, I th that's what he thinks it's called but whatever, if I refer to it, if any of those three things you know what I mean so you don't need to go, oh, I think you'll find because um, it's a waste of your time and mine so... Um, uh, I record this uh, deep in the uh, pits of uh, the plague and I have to confess I'm feeling slightly dis slightly underwhelmed today. I don't think I've achieved enough, I haven't exercised enough and I've eaten rubbish. And that sometimes happens uh, at the moment. So I've turned to Doctor Who to cheer me up. So, uh, and actually, so the timing is good because I was regretting not doing this last night when I did episodes two and three. But I've had a message from Andrew East, uh, who hoped he wasn't too late. Uh, and you, you weren't, Andrew, uh, that I'm going to I'm going to read now. So I'm not cheating over the episode. Dear Toby, you may remember that I posted a message on your Patreon feed asking if you would be interested in my thoughts, of my, uh, in the thoughts of my 12 year old son, Toby, poor fellow, uh, on the tribe of gum. I hadn't realised you'd given a deadline over that week for comments. Anyway, blah dee blah dee blah My wife and I are both teachers, uh, as well as my two children, coping with their own online learning. I'm hoping I'm not too late with Toby's thoughts, as he was quite excited about featuring in the podcast, although I'm aware it's now three weeks later. It's fine, Andrew, it's fine. I do hope you can find some way of including his ideas. I'm gonna! Toby is big into history, and so one of his principal takeaways from the story was the presentation of the caveman tribe. Hello, Toby, by the way. And this Toby liked the caveman tribe too. His favourite thing in the story was the fact that the caveman, the cavemen have a backstory, as he put it. You feel like they are proper characters because you know about what has happened to them before the story. However, he was also a little disappointed in what he feels are historical inaccuracies. Now, I'm not an expert, and he actually knows more than me, as he seems to absorb historical information like a sponge, so I can't vouch for the accuracy of this, but Toby reckons the tribe are too settled. He reckons that if they all have already had fire, then they should have moved on to farming. He believes that when tribes first had fire, they were nomadic, but this tribe seemed to be settled in one place. As I say, I've no idea if this is true. And I'm sure knowledge has moved on since this was written in 1963. But I thought it interesting and indicative of the show's original educational remit that it prompted these thoughts in him. Yeah, and, and two viewers did actually write 
uh, about some things they thought inaccurate about the tribe uh, at the time. Um, so that's that's very interesting. But also, I would say Toby's probably right because in my experience, I thought one of the things about getting older was you're able to tell kids that they're wrong about stuff because you're older and you know things. And I increasingly find my children actually know more about things than I do because they're still of an age where they can learn new things, whereas by my head is sort of slightly fossilised. <laughs> the one thing I thought you'd be able to do as a grown-up, which would be right all the time, just by dint of you being grown-up, it's not actually true. So, Toby, I think you're probably right, and uh, I like the application here. Uh, we're on to the Daleks now, and one thing he's noticed is the shift in relationship between, between Ian and the Doctor Who, in the Tribe of Gum, are quite antagonistic towards each other, but in the Daleks, Ian starts to respond more to what the Doctor says. I apologise if they're too late. It's not, uh, and I want to get Toby's thoughts on air. You're welcome, Andrew, and Toby, too. Uh, very interested uh, in your thoughts. I think those are great observations. And yes, the cave the cave people do have a backstory. Um, uh, and your historical thoughts there, Toby, are very educational. You're never too young to learn, which is something the old mother uh, should have... Uh, should have been responsive to instead she got a stone in the face so well thanks to andrew and to toby for that uh, always good to hear from people especially the young right uh we're gonna crack on with episode four i hope you have it uh, all ready and lined up let's see what we make of the fire maker press play now Uh, so here we go. Uh, episode four of, I suppose it's a three-parter because the, the first part has nothing to do with it. Um, oh, whatever. No, but it's a, it's one production block, isn't it? But then again, so is Mission to the Unknown and uh, Galaxy 4. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Who cares? We all know what we mean. We all know what we're watching. Uh, now, fans of Jeremy Young would have hoped that because he got the big close-up at the end of... Uh, uh, there's no forest set here, of course, because they... Uh, they, uh, they don't need the forest set this week, so Ian's in front of a drape. Um, but we don't get the close-up of Jeremy Young. Instead, we strut straight to the cave, and Howard Lang gets the first line, and because the guest cast are credited in order of appearance, he, old Hogg, who is definitely the smallest uh, guest character, gets, uh, gets top billing, which means that Jeremy Young, who is billed as the main guest star in the Radio Times, never gets top billing because, uh, because of the way that the credits work. Um... I, I I am probably the only person that cares. Now, interestingly, of course, um, they were taking Tsar to the TARDIS in order to get antibiotics to treat him. Uh, but they actually never get that far, but he gets better anyway. So it just goes to show um, the anti-vaxxers are correct. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Can you imagine? Tsar <laughs> does not want to go to the TARDIS for antibiotics. Uh, Zar thinks it's all a conspiracy to microchip the tribe of gum. <laughs> uh, oh, the parallels, the parallels. Uh, well, we are, we are, do seem to be being plunged into prehistoric times once again. Um, it's it's just because Jim was it Jim that, Jim that said he thought in in. Uh, in 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 his uh, appraisal of this, that that Cal was sort of totally evil. I I I do I feel some sympathy for 
for Cal. He's he's trying to survive, and he's not he's not malicious. I mean, I think I'd have killed the old mother. She was horrible. <laughs> and and he does and he does play it slightly guilelessly. You know the 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 he's he's slightly forlorn. Um, uh, but this is this is great work from the doctor. Sort of going, your knife's rubbish, uh, and and Cal because he's a bit. Uh, he's 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 obviously not the doctor's intellectual equal. Um, uh, does his sort of Columbo Miss Miss Marple thing of going? Uh, you are gathered in. The, <laughs> he's gathered everybody in the tribe's tea room and gone. The the killer is in this very room. Uh, but he 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 did it very cleverly by going. Your knife's not very good. So this this is lovely stuff from the doctor. Showing his his keen intelligence and uh, and I like the little bit of collusion with uh, with Ian there where he sort of says right just you know follow what I'm doing and and let's 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 do a pile on let's do which which again I'm I'm in in this c current age of p people ganging up on people um, again I I do feel a little bit of sympathy for Cal here um, even you know even though it, he's only got himself to blame I I don't like mob justice. Um, I, I do like the way Derek Newark's sort of, yeah, he's like he's chewing a wasp uh, to give him a sort of grimacy, you know, almost animalistic uh, quality. Um, and and what's even better, of course, is that in a conventional narrative, um, we, you know, Tsar would be kind of like, okay, uh, thanks very much. They said he shoves Ian out of the way. Uh, because our morality, where if you know if somebody helps us out, we sort of acknowledge that and and perhaps give them what they want. He he, he goes, okay, well, um, you've 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 given me a profound line about Sar not being uh, Cal not being stronger than the whole tribe. Um, uh, now I'm going to stick you in the cave of skulls again, uh, which uh, uh, and I think showing that again it it goes to how well I think the cavemen are, are done here. Um, the, as, as well as the sort of guttural language and the slightly different th thought patterns, but like, like the thing about the 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 animal taking away the axe in its skull and all that sort of stuff, um, uh, you 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 have that 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 different morality about well, just because they've helped me out doesn't mean we're all mates now. Do you know what I mean? Um, and 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 it. And, and it sort of plays into that idea that in these early years, you know, all of these characters are on the run. Essentially, they're tr they're trying to get back to twentieth century Earth, really. But that and and the ship is their lifeline, um, and, and essentially the adventures are the annoying things that happen in between them trying to get back to the ship, which is their only link with civilization. Um, which which means our our, our travelers are slightly you know sort of at sea which which is really perilous because it means you can never relax within the adventure because the adventure isn't actually the bigger picture um and even though that it's not played as a story arc or you know a build-up towards a season climax where they somehow get closer to to their goal or or, or anything they, they, they don't do it like that it's the even though it is one continuous adventure because we get a cliffhanger at the, at the end of even every story it, it does feel like that's an you know that's an underlying dramatic um 
sort of underscore to, to, to the adventure of the week is that, you know, these are marooned, lost souls. Um, and I do hope that some people watching are giving this, uh, maybe people are, 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 are different people's experiences are different, but, but, but my, my experience and my, and my feeling amongst friends and fans is that, is that these cave people episodes are not given much heed the way that Alethea Charlton there does that I do not understand is superb. Um, and you can, they're sort of, yeah, they're, they're learning about society. This is very good. Um, but not in, this is not a mawkish thing where, you know, people from our time come and wag their fingers at people from the past and they learn how to be better. Um, but but it, show, it shows that, you know, we are creatures who evolve uh, uh, and and with a little bit of prompting from from the time travellers, Zar is Zar is working out the more effective way to be leader. Um, uh, but, you know, he's he's it, oh, he's a, oh, I just spilt I just spilt my drink. He's a leader. He's a leader. And I don't want to stop the podcast. Oh, he's a leader who I might have to hang on. There was a recording break while the, the scene had to be reset to clear up the uh, drink that uh, the narrator dropped. Um, anyway, um, oh dear. Um, anyway, sorry, ap apologies for that uh, uh, technical glitch. Now, how easy is it to make because it was always a thing at school oh yeah you make fire by rubbing two sticks together but i remember us all having a go and uh, we never we never pulled it off um but uh, at least they you know they show it's hard um uh and, and ian really does put a load of labor into it uh, i watched castaway with tom hanks the other day which Funnily enough, has a has a a, 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 a similar quest uh, for fire, and again, it, it 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 shows how much effort he really has to go into uh, to do that. But obviously, it is it is possible because um, uh, that's how that's how we got fire. But uh, uh, I've never pulled it off myself. Unfortunately, uh, I live in a time when one doesn't have to. But isn't it extraordinary how something that we take so for granted and look yes the doctor is the leader of the tribe that's very very interesting because he um i remember there's a there's a there's a wonderful blog that became a book called adventures with the wife in space by neil perryman and his wife sue um where where sue sort of says of this era it should be called ian because he's he's very much uh the hero um look at look at hartnell's keen uh, intelligence and, and and sort of following the the, the action there. Um, he's <laughs> he is he, he is a bit he's slightly uh, patronising to the to the caver. Yes, yes, dear, we're doing this for you, but um, um, but they are they are they are slower on the up, uptake. Uh, the cave people, um, and. Yes, the fire maker is the least important because we can all make fire. But of course, if uh, this pandemic had taken over, how many of us 
uh, a civilization collapsed, how many of us that think of ourselves as being very clever and able to do important things in the 21st century? Um, I love that scene in the original Survivors when Peter Copley and Carolyn Seymour have, have a chat and he goes, you know, how would you make a candle? You know, yeah, all of these things that we think of are really simple. Other people do for us. I couldn't make a fire. I couldn't make a candle. Um, uh, it's a lesson in sort of pragmatic politics as well. It's, and hogs are right. Hog changes like the wind. This common body like to a vagabond flag upon the stream. Um, uh, and also... And he uses his daughter as a sort of bargaining chip as well. The roommate fire, you can you can have you can have me you can have my daughter. Charming. Uh, again, different different morality. Um and is this so I don't know who this extra is. Uh but uh, is the second is the first person to die on screen, uh, pretty much in, in Doctor Who. Uh fire in the studio, interestingly, because stop saying interesting. Um there's no visual effects person credited for this episode. They've stopped with the credit special effects by the visual effects department of the BBC, even though Jim Ward uh, supervised the visual effects. And, 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 and because, and I think it's something like the demarcation of which department at the BBC was allowed to use fire, and and one had a fire certificate, and I think the design department didn't, so visual effects had to because they were allowed to use fire. I mean, sounds nonsense, doesn't it? Um, Oh yeah, well, uh, and and fire. I mean, fire in the studio is is, uh, you know, that wasn't a straightforward thing, uh, nor of course was a fight, which is why they they're gonna that we're we're gonna close in on the travellers, and then we're going to go to a film studio, uh, for beautifully lit, uh, fight scene that can be done with uh, stunt doubles Billy Cornelius and Derek Ware, who was one of the first Doctor Who people I met because he was the sword master of a Ludlow Festival play that my brother was in, which have I talked of before on this? Um, and I love this fight because they bite each other. It's pretty grim. Um, uh, 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 and, of course, they revealed that, they, you know, because they get a bit down and dirty, they, they have to be fairly blatant that they have caveman pants, which they probably wouldn't have done at the time. Um, that's all sorts of things they wouldn't have done at the time. Um, it's, but it, I think the set looks great. The light looks great. The 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 cutaways to close ups of the travellers are good. But this is this is a really grim, and I like the way they they the the, the, the noises that they make that are quite because fight fighting is horrible, uh, and it doesn't always sound nice. And 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 of course, added to the fact that these are sort of you know savage early man, I think they I think they really do it well. And 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 yeah, Derek Ware holds a place in my heart because he was the first sort of proper Doctor Who person I was in the vicinity of, although I didn't meet him that time, but he, th he then came back to Ludlow and I was I was working. So he came to ask for tea and I, I then met him a few times later. I, I, I actually suggested him for the DVD commentary for The Mind of Evil, um, which I think one of the first, first times, certainly the first time I'd done a commentary. I love that scream that uh, Jeremy Young does. Um, famously, of course, there was supposed to be the sound of a, uh, stories uh, change whether it was a, a a cabbage with a hammer with a mallet or, or various different things the sound of a crushing skull which was removed uh, also i think there's a suggestion that you're supposed to see a close-up of the damage that had been done it works just as well without i love the way derek newick drags the dead body off 
really and 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 his 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 leg goes up. Uh, it's it's really sort of unnatural and grim and shows the shows the real sort of ugliness of death when when death often on, and fighting often on television is 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 quite is is quite slick and well choreographed. Uh, I think that's that's a fantastic uh, moment and and I'm I'm especially pleased that because Derek Ware was my first sort of meet with someone from Doc Two that um, of course that he was involved with the very first story. Uh, I mean, extraordinary. Um, and and very pleasing, and he was a lovely man, Derek, uh, who who did you know, founded Havoc, the stunt agency, but worked in films as well. Worked on the Italian Job, uh, and was was a lovely, lovely guy, um, Derek Ware, that is. Um, uh, and the fire looks great on screen as well. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic visual fire, um, but yeah, that that that. That that fight is pretty uncompromising and and very very well done. It's a showpiece moment. Uh, I think the fight was overseen by by Douglas Campfield. I've got a bugbear here where, on IMDb, uh, and therefore as a result in fa- various quizzes, um, you know, Douglas Campfield is credited as director alongside Warris Hussein for production assistant oversees a, a scene or, or or an aspect of production. They're, they're doing that as part of their role as production assistant. It doesn't suddenly mean they're co-director. Uh, and I think that's just somebody showing off on IMDb going, oh, I read a thing where it said Douglas Canfield directed a scene. Therefore, he is director of this like Warris is saying, well, OK, Derek Newitt co-wrote it because he added some of his lines. You know, D- David Whittaker co-wrote it. I mean, you could you could add all sorts of lists of people um, but because they, they contribute over the course of a production. This is directed by Warris Hussain. It is written by Anthony Coburn. Uh, despite the fact that uh, bits were done by other people, um, it's just uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm not necessarily sure democracy uh, is a good thing when it comes to um, facts being written up on uh, websites like Wikipedia and IMDb because everyone has their own sort of funny little hills to die on, and it sort of muddies the straight straightforwardness um, in order that people can do their own. I, think all finds which are, I, I I never think are particularly helpful and and I think say more about the person doing it than the than the the truth behind the story but that's my own hill that I die on <laughs> so uh I, I I'm aware that uh, uh I'm you know you I could be hoisted by my own petard on that one um they do get lovely and grubby here and oh yes practical uh practical uh lamb chops i think uh that's very good it reminds me of this this the story of the actor have i told this uh who's uh, in the play and he goes i'm uh you working love yes yes uh, what are you doing is it a good play no it's a terrible play uh uh good company no awful company oh uh, good money? No, the money is terrible. <laughs> Why are you doing it then? There's a practical sandwich in Act Two, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's either here or, and I think it might be more likely the episode two because he has a he, he's eating something in episode two as well that that Derek knew it got some of the fat from the food and put it in his wig. Oh no, you can see his wig's a bit manky there. Uh, put it put because he thought the wig looked a bit pristine, which I think is a lovely idea, but. Um, I mean, it wouldn't have done much for the uh, for the smell in the studio. It must have been pretty grim. No wonder everybody smoked. <laughs> must have got a bit stinky. But that fire looks great. 
Um, that's Carol Ann Ford's own uh, costume, isn't it? Because she had a different costume in the pilot, uh, and that's part of a suit. Uh, so she had matching trousers, and they were, I think, black and black and orange. Is it Mary Quant? I think. Um, so she so she brought. I think I think the matching trousers as well would have been pretty out there. But uh, yeah, I think she brought that in herself. I love that image of the the skull with the uh, with the with the flame sticking out. That is, I mean, it's so simple, such a simple idea, and yet it looks brilliant in the black and white. And you can, you know, you actually again sometimes I think things that portray savages, uh, for want of a better uh, uh, phrase, can be can be a bit sort of patronising um, and and not particularly convincing but I, I i totally buy that these cave people would be uh, pretty alarmed by uh this site which is is pretty awful um and that's 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 a fantastic shot and yeah they're doing a good job there although you know yes why uh, 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 and they don't and they and they do eventually see through it because yeah it's not that it's not that convincing a trick but going Yes, those skulls on sticks—they are us. They could have put—they could have at least put um, Susan's top on one of the sticks, or, or William Russell's shirt, or something. Um, uh, and we're on film here. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, must be. Um, but it's great because yes. So instead of the story, which would now probably end with you know the cavemen all sitting around the fire going. You've given us fire, Doctor. You are the stuff of legend. I know, aren't I? You know, it's rich. Um, uh, and everybody patting themselves on the back. And the Doctor, and, and they go, Doctor, it's almost like you've helped the, the start of mankind. I know, because I'm involved in everything. Instead, it's your pesky travellers, uh, and you're going to escape by the skin of your teeth, which I, I think is much more uh, my image of, of, of Doctor Who as a sort of series of random accidents. And I love it when the Doctor... Um, influences big things um, but but again more more because of uh, you know more by accident rather than design uh, and, and not because the doctor is nearly a god and here's of course the famous uh, they're uh, they're running on the spot <laughs> and having the branches rubbed past their face uh, because uh, to, to make better use of the space now these cave men here are are uh, among them are eight unidentified uh, extras. We don't have the paperwork saying who they are, but certain actors over the years have said they were among them. Roger Hammond, uh, Francis Bacon in The Chase and Dr. Runciman in Mordred Undead. Norman Jones, Major Baker in Doctor and the Silurians, Chris Ong in The Abominable Snowman, Hieronymus in The Mask of Mandragora, both claimed on separate occasions uh, to have been... Uh, a, a caveman in the first William Hartnell one, uh, and there's no reason why they wouldn't be, you know, very early in their careers. So who knows who else is hidden among them? They're very, it's very difficult to make them out. Sadly, um, uh, you, you know, you don't really get. And and that shot of the of the TARDIS going, the spears flying through, it was done was done when they did the uh, when they did the, when they did the f opening shots, uh, the, the 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 first bits of model work for the for the. Um, for the production on different days to when they did um the, the stuff with the cave people um 
And there we go. So the last thing we see of the nice caveman Czar is the fact that he's, you know, they're chasing the Doctor and chucking spears at them. Because look how dishevelled they are. Um, I think that's I think that's great. Um, uh, you know, they're flying from peril to peril, and they're out of the frying pan in well, or or out of the fire maker into the frying pan even um, in the frying pan of Scarrow. Uh, um, and of course, I remember w watching this as part of the, the the five faces of Doctor Who, being quite surprised that um, it it ended on a cliffhanger. That was the first inkling I had that this was a sort of an adventure in time and space, space and time. Uh, and that's the it's a lovely model we get of a glimpse of the petrified forest. The fire has killed us all uh, on the planet Scaro. Um, uh, and I just love the visuals of, the, of this of this crew. Hartnell looks great. That wig is is absolutely terrific. Um, he had a birthmark, you know, that was made up, covered by makeup every week. Um, but um, yeah, so we we I remember Five Face of Doctor going, oh. Gosh, it finishes now. Of course, and there's no explanation. It's just no, no. Next week, it's Patrick Trout in the Crotons, um, but it's it's an extra it's an extra onus on the writer to go. When you finish the story, you have to you have to lead into the next one. And Doctor Who does it with with uh, and they don't always do it. To be fair, and and they do it with um, with with varying uh, degrees of success. I would say, um, but there we go. That is. The first, I do like a cliffhanger at the end of a, of a... I was just thinking about... There's one at the end of Four to Doomsday, isn't there? And there's one at the end of... Uh, uh, Frontios. Um, so it, it's not just confined to the Hartnell era. Um, Derek Ware got a credit there as well. And here we are. That is the end of the first ever Doctor Who story. I'm very pleased Jim chose that. I thought that was... a. Uh, a good and an interesting choice, and I have to choose my favourite thing about episode four and a bonus thing. Well, my favourite thing for episode four has got to be the fight. I think it's really, really good. Uh, the fact that it's on film means it looks a bit extra. It's dirty. Uh, it's it's screechy. It's ugly. Uh, and, and deliberately all of those things, which I think is very bold. Uh, at a time when often, um, you know, yeah, fights had to look sort, of, you know, look quite choreographed. I, th I, I think, I think that was admirably, yeah, admirably underhand in places, biting and screeching, and and uh, and Jeremy Young's final screech, that that sort of agonised animalistic caterwaul is 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 terrific. So, yeah, that's my easy choice for part four. And as for the overall thing, that's hard. I, th I think that that idea that, that ties in with the grubbiness, that ties in with the testy relationship that they all have, that ties in with that last cliffhanger, I, I think I'm going to blow it with Jim because I think I'm being slightly too tenuously linked and abstract but this idea that this is an adventure this whole this this whole situation uh is is an adventure for all of these four people um and that the and, and that they're they're on the run 
even within the story there you know that the, the, and that the tardis is sanctuary and everything else is dangerous and, and that this is as yeah this is a sort of grubby seat of the pants out of the frying pan into the fire continuous weekly rocket from jeopardy to jeopardy to jeopardy um and and that even when a single story is over the story isn't over because the story is these people are cut off like susan and the doctor say they are in the first episode ian and barbara now cut off from what we know and trying to get back to us um i don't think i wonder if jim will choose where it's saying as whose direction is superb but i i i can't really choose that because i i think i alluded to it when i when i chose my thing for for episode two and i could have chosen the music but jim has already chosen that so uh i i think it had to be that so i'm i wouldn't be surprised if jim chooses the fight his bonus thing i think is gonna is gonna do for me but if he does choose the fight that means i'm that means i'm equal with him let's see wow the best thing about the wow. Firemaker is that fight at the end between Cal and Zar. It's often difficult to be sure who's who, and it's proper violent, especially for the loser. <laughs> Splat. And finally, my bestest thing of the whole story. Well, it has to be William Hartnell, doesn't it? I'm sure you've picked this. By episode three, he's telling Barbara that fear makes companions of us all. And it's the first time he's shown any kind of compassion. But in episode four, he he drops the space step-toe act and becomes the smartest man in the room in the way he tricks Cal into exposing himself as the murderer of old mother. Finally, he's the hero we need him to be. He's not Dr. Foreman anymore. He's Doctor Who. Um, so that's that. Hope you enjoyed it. Do you know, you know sometimes when you read an article or you look at a television programme and you go, why didn't they think of that? Or why did they do that? That seems so obvious to do that instead. As soon as he said, just as he said, I thought it's William Hartnell. Of course it's going to be William Hartnell. It's the first story. He's the first Doctor. I highlighted loads of brilliant things he does from the way that he looks to the way that he outsmarts uh, Cal. Uh, and that journey that he goes on and the fact that he is, elect, you know, they point out him as the leader. It's obvious that it's William Hartnell and that William Hartnell is such a key to the success of that story. And I chose stupid threads that I all tied together. He was hiding in plain sight. And it's, 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 it's an object lesson in overthinking and sometimes not seeing the wood for the trees. Uh, but, but, but mostly, because sometimes when you have an article published and, then, and you've read it an, an, you know, a million times, and then there's a line that you put just as a sort of placeholder. So you hadn't paid it much attention. And then when it's in black and white, you go, oh, no, I didn't. Oh, and people go, well, that's an obvious mistake. It's only obvious if you're looking for it. And it's only obvious that the minute. No, in fact, the second before he said it, it was obvious to me. Whilst I was talking to you and choosing, it wasn't obvious to me. Oh, I'm furious with myself because I could have won this one. I could have won this one. Uh, and I, I missed an open goal there. So I, I get a tie. I get a score draw to all, which I think is about the best I've done. Uh, was I similar with Terror of the Autumns with Richard Marson? But I'm kicking myself there. I could have... Even Jim thought I was going to get that. Um, the quest continues. <laughs> 
So I suppose it's appropriate. I'll leave it on a cliffhanger. Uh, will I ever get more than uh, my guest? Uh, let's hear what Jim has to say about himself because he's a very creative and interesting man. And I'd very much like you, if you don't know him, to be uh, in- introduced to him and what he does. Um, I've just started a blog called escapetodanger.net where I'm reading all of the Target Doctor Who books in publication order. And I've just got proper grumpy about the Ice Warriors, so I'm probably going to be excommunicated from fandom anytime soon. Hope you're well. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, I'm fascinated to see why he's grumpy about the Ice Warriors. In fact, it's come quite fashionable to knock the Ice Warriors full stop, even the TV version. And I remember when it was missing and everyone was desperate to see it. And I still like the Ice Warriors, but actually nobody's ever... Nobody's chosen it for this yet. Um, so that's something to look forward to. Fire and ice. Uh, we'll get round to, to, to it eventually. Um, oh, I'm annoyed I blew that. Sometimes stop, think, and you'll see the truth. Uh, and I didn't do that. Anyway, it doesn't matter it, because it doesn't matter. Uh uh, it's it's the journey that buffets us from from one episode to the next. So thanks for joining me for this. I've talked for half an hour rather than sat glumly on the sofa thinking about uh, all the things I haven't achieved today and the pestilence that surrounds us. And so that is something. Um, OK, I'm going to go and light a fire because uh, I, I want to feel well capable in that. Thank you for joining me. Thanks to Jim Sangster. And I'll see you next time. I think you'll find. 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 Do you know, actually, just as I've been saving that, I've been thinking. I do this all the time. I find myself going, oh, I need to, I need to fixate on that thing that annoys me about a certain thing that happens in the writing up and the truth of Doctor Who, because it has to be right. And, and in the end, I end up doing the very thing that the people that annoy me do. Um, and I did it in a quiz the other day where there was a bit where, and it was about this actually, it was about Douglas Camfield, how many Hartnell stories did he um, direct? And I just was going, leave it to it doesn't matter. And, and I went, well, oh yeah, but hang on, because this is this and this is it. And I interfered and it, and it made me, and it made me feel like a, an annoying smart. It made me feel like I probably came across as an annoying smart ass. Whereas if I just shut up, and left it, it all would have been fine because other people would have sorted it out and I'd have come away from that quiz and not then spent the evening regretting my own I think you're finding, which I hate when other people do. Uh, and, you know, who knows, the person that put Douglas Camfield on IMDb, I've characterised them as going, oh, I found out a thing, aren't I clever? They could have been instead. Why don't I go... Oh, it's somebody who's gone, oh, yeah, I read about Douglas Canfield directing that scene. So that's a really interesting nugget. So I'll go on IMDb and I'll put that. They could have been really enthusiastic. It could have been they're, they're trying to uh, commit to the great, you know, the, 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 the sum of knowledge. It could have been something they did with with joy and um, uh, in, in a scholastic or, or an historical approach. I disagree with their findings, maybe. But, um, yeah, so it's a, that's just a reminder to myself. I have to hold my hands up and go and even as i was saying in the in the episode actually i was going why am i getting why am i doing that uh and i didn't want to then come to have to edit this and listen to myself doing something that annoys me and then put it out there and then spend the rest of the day worrying that i put it out there with me doing something 
that had annoyed me. So I've said before you've got to the closing titles that that bit, if that annoyed you, yeah, it annoyed me too. And I, it annoyed me as I was saying it. And yet I still said it. Uh, I don't know what that proves, but um, I think I feel better for getting it off my chest. Oh, I mean, and none of it really matters. Um, I mean, you know, they're all getting carried away about fire 100,000 years ago. They're all dead now, aren't they? So um, <laughs> this will all be dust in the wind. But nonetheless, it seems things do seem terribly important at the time, don't they? Anyway, I hope all I've done with your time is to make it pass slightly quicker, even if it's just helped you go, well, at least I'm not hit. At least I'm not that guy. Uh, you're not. Um, but I'd, I'd be very pleased if you joined that guy next time he has verbal diarrhea and self-abasement in equal measure, which is what this podcast should be called. And on the, yes, look forward to the next episode of Verbal Diarrhea and Self-Abasement with me, Toby Haydock. Thank you very much and good night. Thanks for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Jim Sankster, who is on Twitter at MonsterMaker, Monster underscore Maker, both M's are capitals. This podcast has its own Twitter feed as well, Toby Haydock's Time Travels, at Haydock Podcasts. Please follow there. And do you know what? My patrons are good patrons. They're better than Cal's patrons, and they include Andrew, Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, Will Brooks, Richard Byatt, Paul Carrington, Andy Case, Richard Chalk, John Curley, Mark Dakin, Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones, Andrew Jordan, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, David Matthewman, Ross McPhillips, Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Matthew Newton, Melvin Pena, Keith Piddy, Dylan Reese, John Rivers, Keith Say, Len Stewart, Nick Temple, Sabrina Tirabassi, Raynar Toombs and Apollo C. Vermouth. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates. You can become a patron for as little as £3 a month, although you are charged immediately, be warned, it's a new system, but that means you get access straight away to exclusive and to early releases, material that nobody else gets hold of, and higher tiers even qualify for an exciting badge, or possibly five. Uh, that's at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. If you don't want to do a monthly thing, you can just do a one-off donation at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, but if you can't afford to do either, and that's completely understandable, I know times are tough, I'm just grateful to you for listening and for boosting my numbers. Thank you ever so much. But uh, if you want to do a little bit of keyboard magic by rating and reviewing these, as many positive comments and as many five-star reviews as possible really help to make my algorithms better than Cal's algorithms. And do you know what? I really want to have algorithms that are better than Cal's. So please go everywhere you get your podcasts and do that for me. Thanks ever so much. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Toby Haydoke. You can go to my website, www.tobyhaydoke.com. I'm on Twitter, at Toby Haydoke. These podcasts, as mentioned, are at Haydoke Podcasts. And uh, you can check out my live comedy show, Excess Malarkey. It's been going for 24 years and since the pandemic has been online at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey. And that's at 8pm GMT. Unless you're listening to this once the pandemic is over and then just look for Excess Malarkey online and they'll tell you all about the live Tuesday night shows.